Welcome to the Prophecy Club. I had an accident playing racquetball last night. I got hit in the face with a racquetball racket and five stitches on the outside and two stitches on the inside and the whole side of my face all swollen. And it looks like a basketball so bad that my staff said, uh, no, don't show them. <laughs> don't show them that face. So here's what I'm going to do. We are going to make an unbelievable offer if I can talk, for the next few days until I can get this down to a reasonable size, and then we'll resume our normal broadcast. So what we're going to do is post up one of the most amazing videos we have on archaeology, and we're going to make four of them free for the month of February. So let me explain. First of all, it's going to be free until February 28th of 2022 at Watch prophecyclub.com. Watch prophecyclub.com. First one is uh, Archaeology Confirms the Bible. Now, the story on this was in 1991. Of course, the video technology was not as good as it is today, but nevertheless, I got a brand new VCR with the best quality videotape that I could get. Leslie and I went on a tour, an archaeology tour with Ron Wyatt, and we got shot some amazing video on this two-week tour, we saw Noah's Ark, Anchor Stone, Sulphur Balls, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, the rocket Moses struck, giant bones of pre-flood people, Golgotha. It also has the best talk of Ron explaining how he found the Ark of the Covenant. That's right. The golden chair of God has been found, and he explains it. And when you see this, you won't have any question. You will know he's telling the truth. That's going to be free. Again, for the month of February at WatchProphecyClub.com. The next one is, I came back several years later in 2012. I made this video because I saw that there was so much more I needed to explain. So it's based upon the information I saw on the two-week tour. But I do a good job of explaining Noah's Ark, the crossing side of the Red Sea, Jesus' tomb, many other amazing discoveries, the existence of Noah's Ark, how it has been proven to be a fact and confirms the accuracy of the Bible. See, the devil knows all of this has been found, so he can only present decoys so that people won't find the truth. But these videos will show you the truth. Again, free at WatchProphecyClub.com until February 28th. Free. You can go there and watch all four of these videos at WatchProphecyClub.com. Now, normally it's a $20 a month donation to $200 a year, but you can go watch them free for until February 28th. Now, the one you're about to listen to is uh, one made in April 2004 by Michael Rood. And here he's talking about the Red Sea crossing, the real Mount Sinai, the wilderness journey. Michael takes you into one of the most thrilling archaeological discoveries of modern-day Israel, Michael presents the most recent photographs, video footage, and archaeology uh, artifacts smuggled out of Mount Sinai, smuggled out of Mount uh, Saudi Arabia, and displays a grinding stone from Mount Sinai, which may be used to grind manna to make bread. He also shows Israeli arrowheads that litter the desert of Midian, the intact remains of the altar of the golden calf of Moloch, the rock at Rephidim, which split in half at the blow of Moses' staff, and still evidences the erosion caused by millions of gallons of water pouring from the center of the rock. You'll also see Har Karkum, one of Israel's camping locations, 
during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. You also see some of the 40,000 petroglyphs, which the Israelites chiseled in stone to mark their territory, according to God's promise to Abraham, Moses, and Joshua. You will also see underwater high-resolution robotic camera footage of coral encrusted remains of Pharaoh's chariots, including a golden-covered chariot wheel. You'll also see footage of an ancient Torah scroll smuggled out of Iraq just before the fall of Saddam Hussein. Michael shares a new revelation from God on how Zachariah's thermonuclear war fits into the end-time scenario. Four DVDs, all for free, up until February 28th of 2022 at watchprophecyclub.com. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go over and play clips over the next several days until my face heals up <laughs> enough to come and talk before you again. And uh, so here, here's some more clips. Go watch all of this at watchprophecyclub.com. It's for free. Watchprophecyclub.com. Elijah's cave at Mount Sinai. Suppose that you were Shaul, you were Paul, and you went down to Arabia. You went down to Mount Sinai. Where would you stay? That's where I want to go. That's where I want to stay. I want to go live in Elijah's cave for a while. I want to be able to look down on the plain where the Israelites dwelt during that period of time and to see these things. There are so many evidences that we could show you over 200 hours of video footage of Mount Sinai, and so we've selected just a few to show to you in this particular film. And one of those that I feel is very important is this rock that is sitting on top of a stone mountain. This rock is four and a half stories tall. And as you can see, it is split right down the middle, and you can see where water has cut channels and has rounded out all of the stones going down both sides of this split rock. And now Penny is going to take us into the middle of that split rock and tell us the story of how they found the split rock that Moses struck with his staff and outpoured millions of gallons of water for the entire year to feed the children of Israel and all their flocks. Why possibly the greatest witness giving validity to Mount Sinai being in Arabia is the rock at Horeb. This enormous rock is split cleanly down the middle and is completely different from anything else in the region. It stands high atop one of the boulder hills that dot the landscape and on the west side of Horeb, not Sinai. The Bible identifies it exactly this way. I'm standing on the back side of the rock here and it's easy to see just how large it really is. As I began my walk between the two giant slabs of rock, I became acutely aware that something entirely miraculous had taken place here long ago. Making my way right through the middle of the split, scriptures started rolling over and over again in my head. They became alive to me as I made it through and sat down on the front side. I began to notice immediately the deep channels that were cut into the stone both in front and the back of this rock. You can see one of these channels clearly here. Deep gouges and grooves are apparent at the base also, along with a strange erosion pattern from below that is unique to this rock and no others in the valley. With rainfall every 10 years amounting to less than an inch here, 
These very obvious cuts made by copious water flows were indeed compelling. Again, the channels are obvious. As we followed the course of the water all the way down and into the valley, we realized the immediate area under the rock was of a smooth and unbroken granite, unlike the crushed particles of stone we'd been hiking on all over the rest of the region. If this rock was the one Moses struck, the waters would have cooled up substantially and the whole of Israel, including their flocks, could have taken their fill and been satisfied. Psalm 78, 15 and 16 says, He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused the waters to run down like rivers. There are hours and hours of video, thousands of photographs, but we're just going to give you just a little bit so that you can see that there is validity to Mount Sinai actually being in Arabia. And in fact, there is absolutely no evidence that Mount Sinai was ever in Egypt. And if we believe that the scriptures are true, then we have to admit that Constantine's mother was probably one of the worst archaeologists on the planet. We read in the scriptures that the Israelites ground manna in hand mills to make their bread. And in the land of Midian were found not only these, but several of these hand grinding stones that were used to grind the manna, form it into loaves, and then to bake their bread. We also see thousands and thousands of Israeli arrowheads. They are known as Egyptian arrowheads, the Egyptian-style arrowhead. These are the same style of arrowheads that were found in the land of Goshen, where the Hebrew slaves would make the weapons of war for the Egyptians. And we do read from the scriptures about the battle with the Amalekites. And very likely, these could have been used to actually kill Amalekites who were, were attacking Israel when we came to Sinai. So we'll let the Caldwells tell their story concerning the grinding stones and the arrowheads. In the same area that the split rock at Rephidim is found, dozens of ruins stop the landscape, including cairns, kilns, and stone furnaces. These circular formations, however, are by far the most intriguing and seem to be the oldest in the valley. Arranged with several connected together, they even have doorways and thresholds. The Amalek came to fight Israel at Rephidim. I found at least eight sling stones among these circles in evidence of that very battle. The circles are oriented toward this ridge where we saw a brilliant light in April of 1992. Arab lore tells of a mysterious mountain of lights here called Jebel al-Nur. From Rephidim, we travel south to the Straits of Tehran and the crossing site of the Red Sea. Here, we found an outstanding witness to a catastrophic event. Massive coral heads have been ripped from their bases and thrown far upon the shore. In numerous places, bronze pieces are embedded among the coral and the twisted shells. Amazingly, this petrified formation is not found anywhere else along the entire Gulf of Aqaba. And now, to the awesome wilderness of Arabia. South of Mount Sinai, 
in the most uninhabitable regions of the country. Artifacts can be found scattered all over the desert. The arrowheads and spear points found here are known to be of Egyptian design. Their sheer numbers prove that a vast congregation of people passed through this place. Here, you can see the delicate pressure flight points. Beside the arrowheads, more weaponry, such as hand axes and this bola type, have been found in abundance. Others include handheld grinders. The Bible tells us that the women ground the men and made the into cakes. All the way back to Rephidim now, we find petroglyphs or stone carvings on numerous outcroppings of rock. Perhaps the most profound of all are the feet carvings. From small to large in size, they are found all over this region. Awe-inspiring they are, for Moses told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 11:24, Every place whereupon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. One of the most exciting finds at Mount Sinai is concerning the petroglyphs. Of course, we saw the petroglyphs of the cow and bull gods, Apis and Hathor, and there are also images of the ibex long-horned ram. But there are relatively few of those, but there are thousands upon thousands of the imprint of sandaled feet, petroglyphs of sandaled feet all over the land of Midian, all over Saudi Arabia. Thousands and thousands. Now, we have been out into the desert, out in the area of Har Karkum, where the Israelites camped, where they made 40,000 petroglyphs at least. And using the same method, we attempted to make petroglyphs on our own. And we found that it would take literally hours to make each one of these footprints, which have now lasted over 3,000 years. They are big footprints. There are small footprints. There are intermediate-sized footprints. There are whole families that have done their footprints. What are these footprints doing here? To answer that question, we went to Har Karkum one of the camping sites of the Israelis during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Har Karkum is a mountain in the Negev desert of southern Israel. You can only get in there by a four by four. However, we needed to take an entire film crew and all of our equipment, so we took a Ford van, a 15 passenger high top, as well as several shovels, and it took us an entire day to build stone bridges through the wadis to get out to Har Karkum. There we were looking for a particular shot, and just before sundown, we found it. Walking three miles back to the camp that night, and then making the pre-dawn trek back up there to where we could get a film of the petroglyphs in the foreground and in the background, Har Karkum. And here is where we chose to tell the story of why the Israelites took the time to chisel thousands and thousands and thousands of these petroglyphs of the sandal feet in stone in Arabia. Har Karkum, 
This mountaintop in the Negev desert of southern Israel is littered with the charred fragments of an asteroid impact that formed the Ramon crater to our north. When the nation of Israel camped here during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they chiseled more than 40,000 petroglyphs into these burned asteroid fragments. Some of these labor-intensive etchings appear to be little more than the artistic expression of young shepherd boys tending the flock. But this petroglyph of sandaled feet is one of the ancient property markers of the sons of Israel, who were promised by the Almighty, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given you as your inheritance, from the river Euphrates to the great river in Egypt. That promise was taken literally and the Israelites etched the imprint of their sandaled feet into the very stones of the land as they went. Every place that these petroglyphs of sandaled feet are found legally belongs to Israel, including the vast oil field of Midian in Saudi Arabia, where thousands of these footprints fixed in stone record the identity of the true owners of the land. I'm Michael Rood. Prepare for a rude awakening. There in Saudi Arabia are thousands upon thousands of petroglyphs of the sandaled feet of the Israelites. Why did they take the time to do that? Because long before there were any Jewish lawyers who could appear before the claim offices and the courts, Israel took the promises of the Almighty to Abraham and to his offspring the promises that were spoken to Moses and to Joshua that every place that the sole of your foot treads, that have I given you as your inheritance. From the river Euphrates to the river Nile, they took the time to chisel the imprint of their sandal feet into the stones of the land. They chiseled the imprint of their children's feet into those stones. That was the sign that they took the Almighty literally at his promise. This was the promise that he made with Abraham. And as a countersign, God made sure that those sandals never wore out for the entire 40 years that they wandered through the wilderness. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a miracle. Those leather sandals normally would last just a season, just a few months before you had to make a new pair and go on from there. But when they took the time to chisel the imprint of their little children's feet into the stones of the land, signifying this belongs to Israel, this belongs to us, the Almighty made sure that those sandals never wore out. Those sandals grew with their feet. They lasted for an entire generation until they came into the land of Israel proper. And as they crossed the Jordan River, the manna ceased. They were in the land, and they were to subdue the land. They were to purge the land of every last vestige of pagan sun god worship. They were to completely subdue it, and they were to be a nation of priests. They were to be a kingdom of prophets, to speak the truth to the entire world. And those sandaled feet to this very day bear testimony 
that in the last days, the promises made to Abraham will come true, that that land will go to the children of Israel, and it does not matter what the United Nations, the United States, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, or anyone else desires, the end result is the Almighty will fulfill his word and his will. Now many people believe in America they have concocted a religion in which they actually use the Bible, but they've concocted a religion which says that God's promises to Abraham and his children are null and void that God will not keep his promise to them. And they said that every promise that the Almighty ever made to Israel now belongs to Gentile Christians. Well, if God can renege on his promises to Abraham, don't you think for one second that his promises to you are worth the paper that they're written on. If he cannot keep his promises to Israel, then he cannot be trusted at his word. But I will guarantee you, his promises will be kept, and this is the generation that we are going to see these things come to pass. And we recall just a few short months ago, it seems that the United States military brought to bear an incredible firepower upon the nation of Iraq. And at the end of that, all of the land from the Euphrates over to the Nile didn't go to the children of Israel. Of course, that wasn't the goal. I'm just saying that was a horrendous amount of firepower and it didn't move anyone one inch closer to the promises that the Almighty had made with the children of Israel. In fact, the United States used their attack against Iraq as a pressuring point to try to give, get Israel to give up the claim to the land and to go back on the promise that the Almighty had made with Abraham. But that is not the way that this whole thing is going to settle out. So now I would like to take you to Israel for the Feast of Sukkot in 2001. Those of you who were with us on the first Prophecy Club tour in the year 2000, remember, as I went around and did the fall feast of the Lord, each location, each city that I went to, and I finished that meeting by teaching the fall feast of the Lord, which was recorded and now is in that complete package on the prophecies in the feast of the Lord. You recognize that when I taught that night, that was the last meeting of the Prophecy Club. For seven years, from 1993, until 2000, the Prophecy Club had sounded the warning, and that night was the last meeting of the Prophecy Club, until it was restarted just recently. And it was after we determined the month of the Aviv barley in the land of Israel, and so we knew what the calendar was going to be for that year, the biblical calendar, not the pagan calendar that we are all familiar with in the Western world, but the biblical calendar we determined to be Correct, when the uh, barley was aviv in the land of Israel, that was the first month of the year. And I said during that tour that if we have correctly corrected the biblical, the biblical calendar this year, we will see violence erupt in Jerusalem on September 28th of 2000. 
Now we look back at that date and we recognize that September 28th of 2000, that is when Ariel Sharon, who was not then prime minister, went up on to the Temple Mount. He opened the book of Ezekiel and read the last day prophecy of Ezekiel. And that is when the violence erupted on the Temple Mount. The bloodshed began on that date, September 28, 2000. And as of right now, over 3,000 people have died from that intifada or that uprising. Now, I did not say this by revelation. An angel did not come to me and say that September 28th we are going to see violence erupt in Jerusalem. I was simply going by the biblical calendar and recognizing that this covenant with death that Israel entered into on the White House lawn between Yitzhak Rabin and Yasser Arafat with Bill Clinton acting as the guarantor for the United Nations that agreement that they made, which is called the Oslo Accords, which Oslo in modern Hebrew means toilet seat, <laughs> tell me that the Almighty does not have a sense of humor. <laughs> they entered into that covenant, and seven years later, it was supposed to result in Israel giving over East Jerusalem to the enemy and part of the land of Israel, part of this covenant land, to the enemy. And according to that, I determined that that would be the date that violence would erupt. I can't claim any divine revelation. It was simply a calculation. Now, I also expected that a month later, within a month later, this would go into full-blown warfare. It didn't. And I, for one, rather thankful. I live in Israel. You know, I appreciate just a little bit more time and a little bit more peace in which I can continue to get work done. Because if I remember the words of the Lord right, he said to go into the whole world and preach the good news all over the earth. And until he calls me off, I am like a dog on a scent. You know, we've got a job to do. And if we've got a little bit more time of peace, I'd rather preach the gospel of the good news of the returning Messiah without any radiation burns. You know, that's, you know I'm, I'm kind of happy when I've got a little bit more time. But I do know, and I have preached, and I have said, thus saith the Lord, the fall feast of the Lord will be fulfilled to the very day, the very hour, the exact moment, and every detail in which they were rehearsed for a thousand years. There is nothing that is going to stop the fall feast of the Lord from being fulfilled. That is, thus saith the Lord. My calculations when I think it might happen, I'm ready every year. I don't know about you, but we ought to be ready for things to go down and for us to continue on that path. The fall of 2001 was no different. It was at the Feast of Tabernacles just a few days before that I actually fly into Israel, and this is going to be my home from then on for the rest of my life. 
I have moved to Israel. I arrive in Jerusalem just a couple of days before the feast, and just about a mile outside of the old city of Jerusalem, that is where we get together, we have an apartment there, but we build our sukkah for the Feast of Sukkot, and we build it large enough, only three or four men are going to sleep in it, but it's large enough to where we can put a table in it, and we can get 15, 20 people around the table, because the Feast of Sukkot in Jerusalem is an absolute hoot. So Leslie Johnson, I'm a prophecy student. Why should I come to your Train the Prophets? The reason you want to come to Train the Prophets is because you want to do more work for God. You want to be trained and equipped. And this is a safe place to come. You'll be able to prophesy more accurately. You'll know how to lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. But you're going to also know how to hear the voice of the Lord and be more accurate and understand He is speaking. That's why you want to come to Train the Prophets. Go to traintheprophets.com. These days, emergency food is mostly sold out, but HeavensHarvest.com has all sorts of emergency supplies and food in stock. Their food comes in square stackable buckets, breakfast, entree, protein, fruits and vegetables. I recommend you have at least 12 months of food for each person in your family. Receive a free box of heirloom seeds when you enter the promo code STAN at HeavensHarvest.com. Promo code STAN. Terry Sock is a prophecy student, and he reads his King James Bible, and he believes in winning souls so much he is supporting the Prophecy Club so that we can win more souls. So if you want to support someone that loves prophecy and wants to win souls, I'm going to send you to cornerstoneassetmetals.com where you can get all sorts of precious metals, gold, silver, rhodium, palladium, and things like that. cornerstoneassetmetals.com Click like, share, subscribe, and send to a friend.